Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. It is time for you to join the show, fellow conspiracy realists. We love it uh, when anyone writes in, when you call in, when you use your Ouija board, when you get in contact with us. The void hears you. And sometimes <laughs> I'm thinking of a particular email here. The void writes back. So today we are going to explore some big questions that I think everybody's been continually wrestling with about the nature of reality. We're going to have a, a couple of check-ins about gremlins. We're going to talk about Horse racing, that's been on people's minds uh, after the conclusion of the Kentucky Derby recently, which I didn't know. It's like a year-long thing. There's just one really popular race. Uh, and then, you know, we're going we're gonna to have to talk about toothpaste. But before we do any of that, uh, Noel, we got a we got a big question email with a, a helpful comment about gremlins, right? Yeah, I got two. Um, I'm gonna just do this first one about gremlins because it is a correction, indeed, uh, and it is one specifically referring to a goof that I made. Uh, and I was gonna go right into it, and then I'll make my mia culpa after the fact. Uh, it comes from John. So let's leave it at that. Hello, gentlemen. I'm listening to Could Airplanes Be Haunted? And Noel said that Bugs Bunny dealing with a gremlin in a fighter plane was a parody of the Twilight Zone episode where William Shatner is terrorized by a gremlin on the wing. This would mean that Bugs used a time machine because Falling Hair came out in 1943 and Nightmare at 20,000 Feet first aired 20 years later in 1963. If anything, Shatner was channeling his inner tune tribute to Bugs. Not really, but it's a fun thought. Uh, here's the Bugs original, which is a rare one, and that Bugs is not the one dishing out the punishment, but rather the one receiving the punishment. I hadn't watched this in decades, and it's amazing how I instantly was brought back to watching Looney Tunes after school and remembering every gag in the tune with joy. Uh, and then he also provides a clip of the Shatner performance and, just for fun, a Saturday Night Live parody of the Twilight Zone episode. That episode has become so in the zeitgeist that I think we've seen it parodied any number of ways. And thank you, John. You are absolutely correct. I think, in my mind... Um, Looney Tunes just feels so modern. Like you go back and watch some of those cartoons and the animation, just like the subject matter, the humor, 
it just feels like something that could have been put out today. But on the other hand, I feel like the Twilight Zone can sometimes feel a little dated. So in my head, I just kind of did the old switcheroo where I felt that the Looney Tunes had to have been more recent uh, than the Twilight Zone. But you, you pointed out absolutely correctly that that is not the case. Think about that, Noel. It's The tunes are in, in color, right? And when we exactly. experienced them growing up, especially 80s kids, it does feel more modern than the black and white film that you see in the Twilight Zone episodes. Not to mention, like I said, the the subject matter and just the insanity and the breakneck, you know, just chaos that you see in those Looney Tunes cartoons. Uh, You just have to remind yourself that so much ground is broken in animation, you know, before um, stuff that they couldn't possibly have accomplished, you know, in uh, in live action. And the Looney Tunes cartoon is specifically referring to the kind of urban legend of the gremlin as a creature that would mess with bomber planes, you know, during World War II, or maybe even World War, how far back, Ben, does the Gremlins uh, legend go? Probably largely World War II, but maybe even before that? Do you mean the uh, specific folklore The ones that would mess with Gremlins your planes. and World Wars? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, it dates back a little bit beforehand. It, it, it kind of, <sighs> so... The folks in World War II who were attributing responsibility to a gremlin um, are from the English Air Force and their mechanics. And what they're doing is putting this new technology, which is always going to be prone to malfunction. They're, they're putting the problems with that technology through the cultural lens because they were – we have to remember these folks were adults at this time – they have been growing up in this sort of milieu of very rich, very dense folklore. And it probably it's probably one of those things that started as a joke. But uh, as you know, as everybody probably knows, athletes and soldiers and pilots are intensely superstitious as a demographic. So if you are confronted with death on a daily basis then you start to look for answers beyond the realm of modern science. So I posit started as a joke taken seriously when lives were on the line. Yeah, and then, of course, the most uh, maybe more relevant modern touchstone of Gremlins are the Gremlins films, specifically the first Gremlins movie, where the Gremlins do mess with electronics. They cause chaos, you know, in, like, lighting uh, infrastructure and, you know, mess up blenders and household appliances and things. But that whole aspect of them being a specifically kind of military problem is really not mentioned at all. Um, So it's just another example of how even film is a way of escalating folklore and kind of these sorts of uh, uh, superstitions and sort of reframing them around a modern lens. And then obviously Gremlins 2, the new batch, is one of the most bonkers um, meta films, you know, sequels uh, of the 1990s. Shout Um, out to Key and Peele's sketch about the origin of Gremlins 2. One of my favorite things ever is to watch that sketch with people and then make them watch the movie if they haven't seen it. Have you seen Gremlins 2, Matt? Oh, yeah, but it's been quite a while. (laughs) But you've seen the sketch, right? I think so. it's, it's, it's like a, a focus group meeting, basically, like or not a focus group meeting, but sort of like a pitch meeting for setting up ideas for Gremlins 2. And then uh, Jordan Peele plays this script doctor, this Hollywood script doctor uh, who comes in and basically lets everybody at the table pitch their own gremlin. And it, it, it runs the gamut from like sexy lady gremlin to vegetable gremlin to googly eyed gremlin. And uh, at the end of each person's pitch, he goes, that's going in the movie. And then the yeah. main guy running the meeting is like, that's not going in the movie. <laughs> yeah. And then at the end, it said, all of that is in the movie. Yeah. And it's true. So there you go. I just keep thinking about the SNL uh, sketch that you mentioned because it's got Bobby Moynihan in there as the gremlin guy on the plane, and it is absolutely hilarious. Fantastic. Yeah, isn't Fantastic. he just kind of goofing around like he's not scary at all? He's just kind of like <laughs> like googly eyes through the window kind of. Like, I've got to put He's out there up. smoking a cigarette mm-hmm. on the on the mm-hmm. wing, and, <laughs> and he's uh, – Grilling and doing yes. it's so fun watching it now. And he's just mean mugging the whole time. Yeah. And then occasionally he'll strike a pose. Yeah, that's what I was picturing is these kind of goofy poses that he's doing. I want to give a shout out to uh with one of my favorite current writers in the entertainment industry today, Jordan Peele, who said, and this is apropos to your point, uh, Matt, who said the difference between comedy and horror is the music. <laughs> and I think that's tremendously insightful. 
You know what's funny, Ben? That makes me think of there. There are some really good kind of super cuts on the internet. Like, for example, um, you know, there's a scene. I'm not a huge fan of the Harry Potter movies, but Ray Fiennes is uh, what's the the main baddie, uh, Voldemort, where he's sort of just like vibing and kind of like you know looking evil and sort of like holding his hands over his face in what would be a creepy, malevolent scene. But if you replace the music with like ah ah ah. <laughs> I know this Careful Much I know I'm just This much That's all I'm gonna give you It looks like he's just Vibing in the rain And just like Looking like Really sultry and sexy But if you replace it With sinister music It's like he's conjuring Evil You know mm-hmm. uh, Spells or whatever That's a really good point Ben And y'all I know I teased one about AI stuff But honestly This uh, email here <laughs> Generated more conversation Than I expected So I think I'm gonna keep This AI hallucination One in my back pocket uh, For next week So in the meantime Let's take a quick break And then we'll be back With some more Listener mail We started talking About this incident Drugs And uh, officials Cover up <laughs> You couldn't believe it From iHeart Podcasts It's like the police Knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. And we've returned, and we're jumping to the phone lines. Before we jump to this particular message, I want to give a shout-out to a couple people. Jedi Knight, you did not put our number in your contact list, so I had to leave a message. Neither did you, Ingrid. Neither did you, Champion of the Sun, which is the best name we've had in a while, or Shine Brightly. (laughs) Uh, But definitely put the number in, so if you get a call back, you will know it is us. Okay, Uh, we're going to jump to a message from a good old pal of ours, Brock Ness Monster. 
Here we go. Hey, conspiracy podcast hosts, fellow uh, conspiracy realists. You can probably tell by the awkward introduction or greeting there that this is a Brock Nest monster. Uh, just occurred to me, here's some stuff they don't want us to know, and that is when horses get hurt in a, a horse race or really anywhere, they they basically just, just kill them. Yeah. You know, a lot of people think that they take them back to the barn and the vet gets in there and hooks them up with splints or whatever, and uh, they try to rehab. No, they just can execute the horse right there and then send it off to a glue factory, a.k.a. rendering plant. This recent catastrophe at the uh, Derby, where like eight horses died or something, I don't know. Yeah, it's ridiculous, and it's cruel and humane, like the stuff they do to these horses. They ride them so hard, they, they their lungs bleed. Um, it's it's sickening. I don't watch horse racing. I don't attend horse races. I don't bet on horse racing, and uh, I don't watch it on TV. I think it's cruel and brutal. I think the more people would know that, they wouldn't be so into this horrible, cruel practice. Um it's not quite as bad as a bullfight, but, you know, not by much. They just stick the sword in the animal and the, inside the barn. Anyway, you guys have been doing a great job lately. Awesome shows. Keep it up. And I'll talk to you when I talk to you. Bye. Well, there you go, guys. Message from Brock Ness. Uh, I know we've seen the news, right, about what went down at Churchill Downs. I think that was last week as we're recording. Um, mm-hmm. What's your initial take on the on the message? Absolutely correct. I mean, Brackness uh, always comes with uh, always comes with the facts as can be assembled. And Matt, you had collected uh, multiple sources, not just regarding Churchill Downs, but regarding horse racing. This would apply to uh, dog racing in general. I I know that there are. Unfortunately, as any veterinarian can assure us, there are compelling reasons that make euthanasia necessary when a horse breaks a leg because the leg is usually shattered, uh, making surgery impossible. And, of course, if you've been around horses, you know, they're they're standing dudes. They stand in their sleep. They need those they need those legs. But to Brock's point, um, putting those animals in a situation that massively increases their likelihood of an injury that will necessitate euthanasia, that's the rub of it, right? Like, why would you put those animals in that situation? And I I think that the answer, the self-evident answer, obviously, is the enormous amounts of money that are made in in the horse racing industry. Dressage as as well, that's really weird. No one talks about that. That seems a little less brutal, though, right? I mean, that one's just where they're stepping around. They're not, like, beating, you know, grinding them uh, with these brutal races. Not to say that it's still not weird, but that's more like a dog show than it is, like, a you know, a, a brutal race to the death. Uh, hence a dog and pony show, guys. Hey, ah. da, 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 da. So let's talk a little bit about what occurred at Churchill Downs, one of the most famous racetracks on the planet. Uh, every time there's a big event there, it's I mean, there's a lot of hullabaloo about it on social media, especially if you're somebody who goes to horse races or maybe you're somebody who just visits one time. Because it is a fascinating piece of American history. Race Racetracks have been around for a long time. A lot of people go to them. A lot of money is made on the back end there with the betting that Brock talked about. So what occurred at Churchill Downs? Well, uh, from April 27th until early in June, 12 horses died at the racetrack. As Brock said, not because of an injury that occurred at the racetrack. They weren't taken, treated, and then had to be put down. No, they were put down right there at the racetrack, 12 of them. So... Uh, Churchill Downs, they ended up early in June, suspended racing at the track until July 3rd because of this, quote, unusually high number of horse deaths at Churchill Downs. It's pretty awful. You can read all about this. It's made the news everywhere. 
just about the specifics of the horses, what went down with, with each of the horses. There were different factors with, with every single one of them. Right. Um, so it's, it doesn't seem as though it was anything done by the people at the track necessarily. It's just maybe the nature of the thing, as Brock said, uh, which leads us to the next uh, source there, Ben, that you had mentioned earlier. There are a couple of places you can go to online if you want to learn about horse racing deaths. Two of the best ones that I found are horsedeathwatch.com. This is a site that lists out the date, the name of the horse, the course on which the horse was injured or had to be put down, and the cause of death, which is very important. So it has things like, here's one of the latest entries, a horse named Sweet Run died on the 30th of May, 2023 at Lingfield Flat, and the cause of death listed is finished race, lame on hind leg, destroyed. As in Just, uh, that, uh, yeah, I first heard that term. There's an episode of The Sopranos, or it's sort of a group of episodes where Tony mm-hmm. buys a racehorse, um, and named Pie Oh My. And it was the first time I believe I heard the term the animal had to be destroyed. Jeez. They prefer it to put down, yeah. Um, Really disturbing stuff. I'll I'll give you the other place you can go to just if you want to. It's called horseracingwrongs.org. And it has a killed in action section that it has a list of 900 something horses. You just scroll all the way down. It's got a list of 901 uh, dead racehorses at various tracks. And then if you keep going down, it shows you all of the different tracks in different states within the U.S. and how many horses have died or been killed at that racetrack. Uh, but then that that one also has a whole that it's a group I believe it's a nonprofit organization horse racing wrongs that you can actually take action uh, with that group if you want to. I wonder how this would evolve, Matt, if the owners and the jockeys had to be put down when the horses were put down. Do you think that would uh, trigger better <laughs> treatment of the horses? Probably Make it a little little more equity for everybody. Yeah, you know, a, a racehorse is an investment because you're not talking, we've spoken about this on the show before, you're not talking about, you know, a car purchase. Car purchase is nothing compared to a racehorse purchase because you it's also an, can't sell your car semen. <laughs> if only, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, my, Camry, I guess, yeah. my Camry would be such a source <laughs> of income. My God. Uh, I used to uh, I covered the Augusta Futurity for public radio, and I worked uh, in that field. And I went to a horse semen auction, and it is serious Whoa, business, tense, right? It's oh intense. my god, yeah, it's wild. Let's go. I'm, <laughs> I'm only I'm only mostly joking about that, but like I, Matt, in full disclosure, you know, I I love learning. I'm always very honest when I'm I'm seeing something for the first time. I was not aware of HorseDeathWatch.com until you hipped me to it. So thank you. This also is, I mean, clearly, right? It's a it's a money play. The money is just too good uh, for these things to be prevented. And I'm sure there's a baked in intergenerational kind of legacy thing of of wearing a fancy hat, drinking a julep at the derby, and so on. But why does this persist? I don't know. I don't know. Um, it, again, it's because you're pushing, as we talked about, you're pushing these horses as hard as you possibly can. That's the whole point of it. This is the Olympics of a horse running really fast around a track, right? And it's also, this isn't the first time there have been mass casualties like this. In this article from Fox News that we've got here, title is Churchill Downs to Suspend Racing After 12 Horse Deaths at Racetrack. At the very end of the article, this is posted in early June, by the way, they say more than 30 horses died in 2019 at the Santa Anita Racetrack in California. The track closed down racing when the toll reached 21 and it revamped its safety protocols. Since then, horse fatalities have decreased by 55% in the state of California. Which, again, when there's some mass casualty incident like this, I think there is a push, right, by an individual track, by an organization to try and make some changes to fix the problem. But again, I think ultimately the problem is with the practice in general. 
of having humans getting atop a horse, just the act of kicking the horse in the sides to get it to go faster, specifically if you're using something like a spur to really get that horse moving. Because right. <laughs> it's not, I mean, you're injuring the horse. Or a riding crop, yeah. Yeah, and it's just all of that. It's just, I don't know, man. Feels like something we're moving away from. Yeah, have, have you guys ridden horses before? Mm-hmm. Have much experience, yeah. I mean, like, you know, at, at summer camp, I guess, when I was a kid, but not in any real way. It's it's heartbreaking because horses, well, first off, horses played such a huge role in the creation of modern civilization. When you think about the Eurasian steppe and so on, I know that's like a deep cut, but that's a huge reason that Genghis Khan uh, has so many partial descendants, right? It's entirely due to humanity's relationship with the horse and inventions like stirrups. If you've been around horses, you know, they love to run. Let those ponies run. Uh, But maybe, Matt, to your point, like maybe it's the just the constant pushing of them. It's like redlining a car, right? What's the most impressive? What's the big win that every horse racer wants? Triple crown? Is that Mm -hmm. it? Yeah. So that's like asking a single organism to do life-changing, potentially fatal uh, feats of physical fitness, not once, but three times. Yeah. And once your leg breaks on that third track, you just get, you're dead. And I mean, it really has to do with the pressure, I think, that's placed on the animals because they are valued. Again, more than most homes, way more than most homes, right? If you think, my God, millions of dollars for an animal's life because it can potentially make you millions and millions and millions of dollars. That's, I think, where the major problem is. You're going to push that animal as hard as you can to make a return on that insane investment that you've made. Yeah. Brock, you mentioned this, Matt. You mentioned this. What happens to the horses when they are no longer useful to that industry? They're often slaughtered for meat, which I know is verboten here in the U.S., but is fairly common in parts of Asia and Europe. Full disclosure, I have eaten horse meat. Um and then the glue, the glue factory thing is something we hear a lot. I, I just don't know. Would it be, it feels like if this moved away to some sort of virtual event or if people were racing cyborg horses or if we built, you know what? Maybe the most fair thing is to genetically modify organisms, right? Make that super Olympics that we talked about with Dan Harmon or use synthetic morphology to make centaurs, Right centaurs that have a, a human brain and can communicate things that um i don't know i don't know i'm the first to say this is a little far out this the, the kentucky derby is probably gonna happen next year with regular horses right so, yeah dude but centaur me up like let's go <laughs> centaur me up maybe <laughs> call me alpha centauri yeah, yeah dude i have to get a different desk but you know we'll figure it out <laughs> so you would be the centaur yeah okay. yeah <laughs> Okay, if you are one of those billionaires who um, likes the idea of the antebellum myth that America sells itself, uh, then how do you feel about replacing your stable with centaurs? Are you okay with that? You're saving money, right? You're you're reducing the cost of the upkeep of the jockeys, huh? <sighs> or would you have centaurs by themselves, or would you have centaurs with a fully human jockey also on them? Unclear. Ooh. That's interesting. I've never seen that. I've never seen it either. I think in mythology, the main thing is like the centaur is its own package, right? Yeah, but It'll get, <laughs> a centaur is like an Uber. It'll give you a ride, but it's in charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love the idea of a just a smaller person on the back of this huge centaur, like telling you where to go. I think that's a good video game character. Let's get that out there, oh, everybody. Wait, wait, wait. That, that, that's a thing that happens in uh, in um, freaking God of War. Uh, there are some of these giant monsters that you sort of beat into submission, and then you jump on them and steer them. Basically, ah. it's it's a new mechanic in the latest God of War game. But I think I think there's something special to it, Ben, when you're talking about like a saddled centaur. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Somebody right now. <laughs> uh, that's not going out of my head. All right. Congratulations, everybody. Uh, Brock, I hope that's where you imagined this conversation would go. <laughs> uh, 
I guess we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more messages from you. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby Award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. And we have returned with a bit of a mixtape of messages, uh, a cavalcade of Colgate-esque conversation. Earlier, we looked at a strange story that stood out for all of us and uh, on... <laughs> predictably named Strange News, about a weird toothpaste heist. Now, you know that we are all fans of good old-fashioned heist and grifts here. And one of our primary questions, the one we could not answer to our own satisfaction in that Strange News segment, was why? Why would you steal 2000 something dollars worth of toothpaste, of Sensodyne toothpaste? And you know what it reminded me of off-air? I went back and watched the massively underrated sketch show, The State oh, of, of late so MTV. Yeah. And it's uh, on Paramount Plus, right? Because they have all the old MTV uh, material on there. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yes. So our conversation about why someone would steal a relatively small amount, heist-wise, of toothpaste reminded me 100% of Barry Levon in the sketch where they get so excited about $240 worth of pudding. And they never explain it. They just want you to know. You guys remember that sketch? I do. We talked about it on here before. <laughs> the so much. What, what, what's the phrase? Uh, the phrase is two hundred and forty dollars <laughs> worth of pudding. Yeah, we had the two hundred and forty dollars. 
we had to have the pudding. <laughs> right. Like this. Okay. So this was as inexplicable, this toothpaste heist. And we asked for your help, fellow conspiracy realist. We had so much correspondence on this that we can't get to everyone, but we want to give a shout out to the following people. Natasha, Elias, Dark Sky, Paul, Alexandra Concentric, Hadash, Alex W, Dead Zero, 07, and one source that wishes to remain anonymous. So here are some of the guesses we had. Alex says, listening at work today here in the UK, uh, love the show, subsequently sharing all the weird news and theories I pick up along the way. A quick thought came to me listening to the toothpaste theft conundrum, which is now going to be the official title for that. Uh, he said, perhaps the toothpaste tubes are useful in smuggling. Could drugs or illicit substances be inserted into the tubes to be transported elsewhere? Or is there an ingredient in toothpaste that you can use to make other substances? I have no specific data to back this up other than a recent episode of Chicago PD, where hairdressers were robbed for bomb-making ingredients. That's where I get all my best criminal info. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Best wishes. Let's pause on that one. What do you guys think? I think that's pretty innovative, actually. When we were talking about it initially, it did occur to me that I had seen some spy show or movie where they were using, maybe it was a James Bond thing where it was like C4 type material put in a toothpaste tube that could then be like, you know, like squeezed out and then a detonator attached to it, you know, some Whoa. kind of like, I don't remember what it was, but I also, it makes me think of the old expression. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah. Um, famous design flaw of toothpaste. Exactly. Yeah. I bet you could <laughs> Just, figure it out. You can, you can do it. It's just inconvenient. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's like, why would we have this jockey on this centaur? <laughs> uh, why wouldn't we is more my question. <laughs> right. Uh, why isn't toothpaste served in, you know, like little glass jars, like olives or capers hmm. served? Don't eat toothpaste. Uh, so there's something here that's interesting because Alex got us thinking and counterpoint to using the tubes themselves as smuggling devices. Why did the person not take the cheapest toothpaste on the shelf? If you just need the tube, then you're not going to, you're not going to go for Sensodyne, right? Which is a fairly specific, slightly higher end form of dentifrice. But if <laughs> what's that word, Ben? Dentifrice. I don't know this. It's the, it's the word for toothpaste or it. cleaning thing with its, so much. the tie on. It's day. your word of the day. <laughs> it's so unnecessary. But yes, it's like calling your home a domicile. Exactly. No, I completely get it. Like if you want to be highfalutin next time TSA gives you trouble, just loudly say, am I being detained for mm -hmm. nothing more than dentifrice? And I'm then look around. <laughs> but that man went for my penis. <laughs> That's exactly who I'm thinking about. Oh, shout out to that amazing Australian. Uh, with the, all the best of intentions, man, we wish you well. But you're awesome when you get arrested, and you might need to get more arrested, arrested more often, just for the clout, you know, for the people. What's the but, crime I've committed? Enjoying <laughs> a succulent Chinese meal? <laughs> this is democracy. <laughs> Uh, so, okay, there's another, there's another idea, though, that Alex is onto, which is the idea of perhaps creating a drug. And that's something several other people speculated on. Now, at this point, none of us uh, listening at home or recording this show have nailed down what that kind of substance would be. Uh, usually, and this is not bragging, we're just too in the bubble here or the rabbit hole. Usually if there's something like that being made, we would know. We're prop for a lot of regular listeners, we're probably the way you learned about stuff like toilet wine and jankum. You yeah. know what I mean? And crocodile. Crocodile. So, yeah. yeah. I, I yeah. just so, want to say I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Matt would have no none of us have any idea how to make 
drugs, recreational drugs from toothpaste. It always reminds me of that scene in uh, Fight Club where um, Tyler Durden's talking about you can make napalm out of frozen orange juice concentrate. Mm. You know, it's, it's like back to anarchist cookbook style bomb making or recipes. Yeah. Tune in to our upcoming episode. Should any books be banned? <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't go the way you think. But uh, there's so there's another thing we got uh, that goes into the financial motivation. And we got it. This was the most common thing uh, that we that we heard about this. So we'll go to Dead Zero O Seven, who says, "If I had to guess, stolen toiletries can turn a profit at flea markets, swap meets, or even auctions. I've seen many booths in my area of North Carolina where everything from shampoo to over-the-counter medicines are sold at fairly cheap prices. Stolen goods are a hundred percent profit. Just a hunch." It's not a bad one. It feels a little more direct, right, than the idea of manufacturing uh, designer toothpaste drugs. Not to say we're not interested. Let us know. You know, send us your recipe anonymously. Uh, So let's go to our anonymous source who goes pretty in depth here uh, and has some has some things that I think are worth discussing. We'll journey through this together and we'll pause along the way. Our anonymous source says. I happened to listen to today's show, and you asked why people steal toothpaste. And Anonymous says, I know exactly why people Ooh. steal toothpaste. Yeah, we're putting some, we're, we're putting some, some English, some gravitas on that, on that with intonation. But okay, Anonymous says this, this is my area of expertise. I have many titles, but one of them is a grocery broker. Have you guys what? ever heard of this? Nope. Not in all my life. <laughs> Yeah, this was new beans to me, too. Uh, Says, I specifically purchase groceries from wholesalers and sell it on Amazon, Walmart, and other third-party marketplaces. I've been doing this for about a decade now. So what does that have to do with stealing toothpaste? Great question. Also anonymous. We like the way you write. Uh, Anonymous says, the reason... The people steal items like toothpaste, razor blades, baby formula, batteries, and pads en masse is because they sell very, very well on Amazon. And this goes hand in hand with the drug problem in this country. Yeah, right. Across this country, and I am uncertain in Canada, there are crime rings that traffic in both stolen goods and heroin and meth and this reminds me of something weird. One time we were all in New York and I was going into a convenience store and this guy asked, or like a, what do they have up there? Dwayne Reed? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's like a drugstore kind of thing. And this guy wanted me to not give him money, but to buy cereal, breakfast cereal and give him a box of that. And he's begging people to buy him that. So I think maybe, maybe this ties into what anonymous is saying. He says, This practice is more well-known with baby formula, but other high-ticket items are involved. Think about it. An item that's perfect to steal, you want something that is small, valuable, unserialized, meaning no serial number, not breakfast cereal, and and lightweight. And so Anonymous says, I'm looking right now at a three-pack of Sensodyne toothpaste on Amazon. It's selling for $19.59. Amazon will pay $12.38 of that to the seller. That's for a 10-ounce container of toothpaste. Doesn't seem like a lot, but if you steal 1,000 tubes of toothpaste, that's 300 or so dollars for one day's quick work. What do you guys think? What do you think? I mean, I'm, I'm with you in terms of the, the, target, uh, the targeted nature of these types of items. I think I mentioned on the uh, episode where we talked about this story that in Hawaii spam is is an incredibly popular item for uh, th- for theft, and mm-hmm. they actually lock it up in glass cabinets. So you have to. I've have, seen it. You have to have to somebody, uh, an employee, come and unlock the spam case for you. Mm-hmm. Just like uh, razor blades in some drugstores, they have that plastic container. Mm-hmm. You have to get someone to come over. Oh, and condoms as well. Well, well, I Ben, I get the. I get that you could make profit on it, right? It, not mm-hmm. a crazy amount of profit, but I guess a reliable profit if you flipped it to Amazon after stealing it. Where do you, how does drugs work into that? What a setup. Yes, perfect. So, okay. 
So let's say you're you're living further on the other side of the law. Uh, Anonymous says, Anonymous has a nice segue into this, says, look, it might seem weird, but it is not illegal to have a car full of toothpaste. If you encounter the cops, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It would be super suspicious if you had a carload of Sudafed in some jurisdictions, especially if they're struggling with to, to combat certain drug rings. Because you can use the Sudafed to make drugs, I guess, or so mm-hmm. an, as an active mm-hmm. ingredient. Okay. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. those are the kinds of things where you actually sometimes even have to show your ID to purchase them in the first place, so that it goes in a register of some kind. Got it. Like ephedrine, mm-hmm. right? And even with an ID, uh, in some places you can't buy you. Don't run into any kind of retail establishment and be kind of jittery and say, I'll buy all your ephedrine. <laughs> Not a good look. Not a good look. Uh, so uh, this uh, anonymous source says, I'm, I'm living in central Pennsylvania. I'm aware of mass shoplifting rings in my area and more toward New Jersey. And this is where anonymous is getting to your excellent question, Matt. The shoplifting rings, apparently the way they work, they pay... 25 cents on the dollar of face value items. So long as you accept your payment for those items in heroin or meth. So you have addicts that are motivated to steal for their addictions. This toothpaste in question says anonymous is about $7 a tube at Walmart. So it costs $21 to make a three pack selling on Amazon. Someone's getting paid about $5 worth of heroin. And to a large dealer, if we practice economy of scale, which all successful drug dealers do, that's about $2.50 worth of heroin wholesale. And then they flip it on Amazon. Wow. The margins are insane. So so Amazon has no uh, method in place for ensuring that you're not selling stolen goods? Maybe that's a naive question. Um, I don't know. I think they need to cover their butts uh, in that respect. So they're not like party to illegal trafficking of stolen goods. That's a good question. No, let's text Jeff. Let's see what's up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, why <laughs> yeah. are why are uh, what are they, those gift cards? Why are those so prominent in almost every major retail store? Because of the anonymity. Uh, I mean, well, yeah. no, I'm but sorry. we know we know that's how you know money gets laundered and trafficked and, and all that stuff. And we know that's sure. how transactions occur. But it's still like one of the main things that you'll see right before you check out anywhere. A hundred percent. Yeah, and and the branding of those things is also just intellectually fraudulent, whatever. So Anonymous breaks it down and says, turning $2.50 into $12 is a 50% margin of profit. Wall Street would absolutely crap their pants if, if they were offered 50% pure profit in any other endeavor. This just happens to be street-level grifting, right, with a nice mm. back door to it. This doesn't happen in legit business, says Anonymous, but you have built in your own money laundering. To your your earlier point, you're taking dirty, dirty money from the skag or the meth. You're turning it into corporate money because Amazon pays it to you. And then, and this is the most important part. Okay, don't become a drug kingpin or whatever. But uh, if you listen to hip hop and you want to know who's just talking trash about selling drugs and who really was or is in the game, almost always was in the game, not is, you'll hear them rap about how to look legit when IRS time comes. Mm. I'm telling you, that's how you know the folks rapping really did it or their ghostwriters did. Uh, So if you have turned around your heroin, your fentanyl, your, your meth or what have you, into a a legit stream of money from Amazon, you can pay your taxes on it. And people won't know, the government forces won't know any different. And then Anonymous says, uh, you can even fake some corporate entities. You can start invoicing yourself for the stolen merchandise, and now you're deducting another cost. Anonymous says this is a huge problem in large cities. More than a few people have been busted for it. There have been several cases of people doing this with Lego sets. Now Legos, like Spam in Hawaii, are under lock and key. Uh, and we'll we'll end there because I know we're getting uh, we're getting to time here. But Anonymous points out, as a grocery broker, they've been approached on numerous occasions to participate in stuff like this, and they 
walked away from it every time. So anonymous writing here is not on the side of this process. They're just familiar with it and sharing it with our fellow conspiracy realists. Is that happening? I mean, Atlanta is a large city. If that's a real thing, then it's happening here too, huh? I mean, Legos are still on the shelves at Target, last I checked, um, you know, not under lock and key. But at places like Barnes & Noble, uh, Hmm. they will have those bespoke Lego sets behind the counter. I have definitely noticed that. I've got my eye on one of those. Which one? Which one are you going for? I I don't want to spoil it. He's not going to hear this for now, but my son's getting a giant Bowser lego set thing yeah, from the new dude. movie for his birthday that's that's like he, we've so had conversations cool. about saving money to get this thing because it's so dang expensive <laughs> oh man that's so cool dude that is so beautiful we've been building all the flower lego sets i think i might have mm-hmm. mentioned that already mm-hmm. but we were working mm-hmm. our way through pretty much all of them and they're a delight Yes. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to go through my real life Tetris situation. We haven't talked too much about it on air, but I, I found some nifty, nifty things as well. I will show you guys one thing as we end, I found an old cache of my, uh, my North Korean stuff. So like this is barbed wire from the DMZ. What? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You had a really great tweet about uh, moving, Ben, how it makes you kind of your own personal archaeologist or something. Archaeology like that. Of, of, your, narcissist. of your own life. That's what moving is. Very yeah. good. Very accurate. That's very kind. Even more kind. Thank you to everybody who takes the time to write into stuff they don't want you to know. We want to give a big shout out to Brock Ness, to John, to, the, uh, to our toothpaste think tank. <laughs> yep. breaking down a very strange uh, but quite plausible kind of drug trade and grift. We can't wait to hear from you. We can't wait to hear your thoughts. Everybody stay safe. There's a lot of news coming out here in the U.S. and the world abroad. Uh, we're going to be here with you for it until we <laughs> until we get black backed. Uh, so if you want to be part of the show, Join us. Picture some kind of like weird Illuminati version of an Uncle Sam poster saying we want you for stuff they don't want you to know. That's right. You can write to us uh, on the Internet in various forms. We're Conspiracy Stuff on YouTube, uh, Twitter and Facebook. Conspiracy Stuff Show on TikTok and Instagram. If you want to be like Brock Ness Monster, why not call 1-833-STDWYTK? It's a voicemail system. You've got three minutes. Say whatever you'd like. Just give yourself a cool nickname and let us know if we can use your message and voice on the air. If you've got more to say that can fit in that three minutes, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care and we'll see you there.